the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I am the owner of the online weaving shop Gist Yarn and Fiber and the host of this podcast. Today, I am so thrilled to welcome Omar Chavez to the podcast. Omar is a master weaver and natural dyer from Teotitlan del Val, a village near Oaxaca City in Mexico. I met Omar last May when I was lucky to get to spend a week learning tapestry weaving from Omar and his parents Faye and Lola in their studio in Teotitlan. I was so inspired by the stunning creativity and the sheer amount of planning and hard work that goes into creating each of their tapestries. Omar, I'm so excited to have you to be talking to you for this podcast and thanks for coming on. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sarah. Phil, first I wanted to thank you for this opportunity. I feel very, very uh, excited and honored to be part of uh, your podcast, and uh, I'm very happy to share some of uh, the history of my family and our work. So you you grew up surrounded by looms and by weaving in your family and in your whole village. How old were you when you learned how to weave, and, and who did you learn it from? Yeah, well, uh, here I'm the fourth generation of weavers here in my family. And actually, I start to learn how to weave when I was eight years old. So yeah, I was born uh, with wool, with the looms. Uh, so uh, when I was like at six years old, uh, my father just taught me to give uh, skeins of wool. So I have to do the, the skeins so they can dye and uh, weave. But uh, when I was eight years old, they started me to teach how to weave. And when I was 14 years old, they gave me my first uh, pedal loom. So I started learning like the basics of uh, technique, like uh, going in stripes, then geometrical patterns, then uh, curves, which is the hardest technique. I remember you telling me that in, in many families, children are taught to weave the designs that their parents tell them to, mm-hmm. but that your father and mother always taught you to be creative and to make your own design. Yeah, yeah. Why was that? Why was that so important to your family? Well, actually, that's true. Here uh, in Teotitlan, it is very common that uh, like the parents will, will decide which will be the, pa- and the pattern, the color, and the size that the, their sons will uh, weave. <coughs> so here, in my case, I feel very lucky because obviously my father taught me like the first techniques, but then he told me, okay, here's the yarn, here's your loom, you know uh, the basic techniques, and you can just start to experiment and create whatever you want. So that really uh, helped me a lot to to develop more my creativity and start to always look for something different and not like to stay in only one pattern or something like uh, the rest of the village is, is weaving. So that really encouraged me to keep doing uh, different things and always, always looking for different uh, figures, different uh, combinations. So it is uh, actually a very, very nice thing. And I feel very lucky that my parents gave me this uh, freedom just to, to create. Do you remember some of the first tapestries that you wove? What did they look like? Yeah, actually, uh, I remember that they were uh, only one feet uh, width hmm. <laughs> and it, it was like for two and a half uh, long so it was just stripes I remember that it was just stripes and it was like the the wall that was I was using it was like the 
the leftovers that my father and mother uh, leave from the rocks. So I just go to their looms and start to pick up the, the colors and then I just started to, to weave. And it was only stripes at the beginning and I was very, I, I feel very, very happy my first day that I remember that in, in only like three days I did my first piece because I was weaving a whole day, whole day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And do all of your, um, everybody in your family is a weaver? Yes. <coughs> yeah, I have uh, one brother and one sister and also uh, they're weavers. They start also when they were um, eight and 10 years old. My father is <coughs> my father has been a weaver for 48 years now. Uh, same as my mother and my father learned from his grandfather and uh, we are a family of weavers and dyers. When you when you sit down to weave a tapestry do you have everything planned out in advance or do you do your designing and thinking at the loom? Yeah, all, all what I do is at the loom. So uh, when I start to weave I don't have any sketch or any uh, planning about what I'm going to weave. So it's uh, how it goes. So, But uh, obviously to do this kind of work uh, it makes makes longer my weaving process because you know sometimes I feel uh, with lots of ideas and I start to weave like for one or two hours then when I'm uh, like running out of ideas I just go for a walk and I really get uh, I really get inspired by some uh, sunsets or uh, the sunrise and uh, then I just come back and start to to make a different idea so it's a very very uh, nice work because I, I I always like to experiment and I don't know what I'm going to to do at the end of, of the day I like it I like that a lot what is your favorite tapestry that you have woven <laughs> recently <laughs> well uh, it is a, a little bit hard to pick uh, like one favorite piece because sure. uh, when I wove I I work with a lot of dedication, with a lot of uh, creativity. So in every piece that I do, uh, there's like uh, of my feelings of that moment. So every piece that I'm doing, I always say, oh, this is my favorite, this is my favorite. But it, that's not true because all of them are my favorite. I cannot, uh, I cannot decide for one in a specific. All of them are very important for me and very different from uh, each other. I think a lot of weavers can probably identify with that feeling. Of <laughs> each each tapestry or each thing that they weave represents a specific time in their life when they exactly. were working on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And it's, it's, it's the same for me, so it will be hard to, to pick one. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> In, in addition to being a weaver, you're also an industrial engineer, right? Yes, that's correct. I'm wondering if, did learning to be an engineer change how you think about planning and weaving your tapestries? Or mm -hmm. does weaving impact your work as an engineer? Uh, well, yeah. Actually, just this uh, last uh, August, I just uh, graduated. So I feel very, very happy about that. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And here is a very important thing to say. Because here uh, in Teotitlan, 
it is very um, it is not that common that their parents will send their children to, to school so they will prefer that when they're uh, 10 or 11 years they help their parents at, uh, at the house like uh, or weaving or going to the uh, countryside to farm corn and things like that so here my, my parents <coughs> gave me this big opportunity to go uh, and have a, <coughs> a career and uh, studying an industrial engineering uh, taught me to appreciate more uh, my weaving work because I did some practice in a small factory here in, uh, in my city and when, I w in, when it was my first day I had like uh, someone telling me how should I do the things and I have to uh, respect that uh, method and not and if I have like new ideas uh, they were say uh, they were telling me that I should wait because I was like a, a new so in the weaving I have that freedom just to create and I don't have uh, no one telling me uh, how should I do my thing so I think that's a very important thing in a job that you feel uh, free to uh, do what you have in mind and if you think that uh, there's a better way to do it you can just try and experiment uh, with what you have in mind so that was one of the first things that uh, the in engineering uh, helped me more to appreciate uh, the freedom in a work other thing also is that uh, for example I I really uh, uh, had uh, lots of classes where they were telling me how to uh, make something like m with more organization so all that I want I would like to apply it to my family's work like to have a specific days of dying uh, with time specific days of uh, of cleaning the wall, of uh, going and buying the wall, and uh, like to have more uh, structured uh, or 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 families uh, work. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and it's really um, powerful and interesting to hear that. The first thing you were talking about about having freedom in work that mm -hmm. was really like what your family started to teach you when you were so young and they let you make your own designs and clearly that continues to have a big impact in how you work and things. yeah yeah and actually well nowadays that I have uh, my friends from college th that they are in uh, like in their works working for factories and things like that they say okay so I start at 7 a.m till uh, 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. and they're like uh, I feel them like they're very uh, stressed uh, about their work and they said okay I have to to go to bed because tomorrow I have to work very early in the morning and then uh, when I look at uh, my situation with the weaving and I said this is a very very uh, fantastic uh, work because you're al always like challenging yourself also 
and to do something different and uh, not to be part of the same thing that other weavers are, are doing. So yeah, it is very, very, a very nice work. I feel very lucky to uh, be born in, in a culture where this is, uh, the weaving is a tradition and I feel very uh, accomplished to, to keep uh, with my family's work and it, to make it always better, better and offering different things to people that it's uh, interested in textiles. Yeah. One of the things that you and your family are really well known for is that you use natural dyes for all yes. of your wool. Mm -hmm. why, why is your family so committed to using only natural dyes? Yeah, well, mm, this is a very uh, important thing about uh, my family's work. So uh, from almost 20 years ago, my father started to uh, work with these natural dyes. And this, is, and this was because uh, here in, in my community, in Teotitlan, uh, there are around 2,000 weavers. And uh, there are few families working with authentic natural dyes. And this is because uh, in order to make big quantities of rocks, uh, people need a, a, like a fast uh, method to do all the process. So uh, there are the anilines, which are chemical dyes. And then uh, that's obviously it makes the, the dyeing process faster. So here my family uh, started to look for new ways how to make uh, this process uh, very different from the others. Just like I told you before, uh, my, my father, my mother have very different ideas and they wanted to be recognized for uh, doing a uh, very quality uh, work in a different process. So uh, my father started to look for families here in the village uh, to and ask them to teach us how to do or how to use the natural dyes. But uh, when he was going with these families, uh, they said uh, no because we're from the same village and it will be like uh, the competition and we and we want to share like the knowledge of natural dyes with, with you. So it was very hard at the beginning. My father and my eldest brother, they start to, uh, to do and experiment a lot with uh, these natural sources. And just by uh, doing a lot of research, a lot of experimentation, uh, we found formulas that we are using nowadays to dye all our yarn uh, in a naturally uh, way. So it is a uh, very, uh, my family feel very accomplished to work with natural dyes because first of all, it is uh, a very um, interesting work because you cannot control uh, the color when you're using natural dyes because there are many uh, different things that will affect the final color, like the natural color of the of the sheep. So obviously we cannot control the color of the sheep. We're always getting different and different shades. So when you're dying with natural dyes, even we have the formulas written, uh, we're always getting different, different colors because uh, because all of this that I, that I told you. So my family wanted to have these new 
like idea of rescue the 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 techniques that the people were using here in, in Teotitlan. So all the process that uh, we are doing for uh, our natural or all process of dying is completely natural and not toxic. So when you're working with anilines to fix the color into the wall, you need to use a sulfuric acid. So that represents a toxic process. And uh, that's why uh, my parents didn't want to do that because uh, when we were uh, when, w when I was a child, my father used to work with natural dyes, but then he, with a synthetic dye, sorry, but he realized that the smell of the acid was in the whole, whole day in, in the entire house. So here, uh, it is common that the dyeing area will be inside for workshops. So when you're working with anilines, you'll have the smell of the, uh, this toxic uh, acids in your kitchen, in your uh, in your bathroom, in all places at, at your house. So in uh, my father didn't want like to to keep with uh, working like that. So that's why he decided to to change into a natural dye process. What kind of materials and plants do you use for the natural dyeing? Okay, so uh, here we use uh, obviously the cochineal. So the cochineal, which is a uh, an insect that lives in in the cactus, and here in Oaxaca we have a small farm that is harvesting this little insect, and uh, we we get uh, the bug from this uh, from this farm. So it's a local bug, the cochinilla, and we have to grind it. So how the cochineal works is that uh, changing the pH of our water will give us uh, different shades from red, purple to pink. So we have to grind the, the bug in to make it in a very fine powder and then just by changing the pH we will get a, or an orange or a darker red. So in order to make our pH into an acid uh, solution we use lime juice. So adding lime juice to our dye bar will, uh, will achieve like uh, orangey colors. And then to make our bath into an alkaline solution, we use baking soda. So with baking soda, we will get like darker colors into our wall. But again, obviously will depend the natural color of the sheep. Also we use the indigo, which is a plant and the plant grows here in the Isthmus region, here in Oaxaca, which is around six hours far from, uh, from downtown. And uh, there are families that are farming uh, this plant, and it's a nine-month process of, uh, of having the plant into like a stone. Uh, lots of people think that uh, the indigo is a stone, but actually it's a a uh, processor a plant that I takes around nine months to have it like that a rocky appearance so from this plant uh, we can get uh, different shades of blue so we can get a very deep blue using gray wool 
and a light blue using white wool. Also, will depend how many dips we're doing of our skin into our dye bath. So the intensity of the color will depend on how many dips we do into the dye bath. Also, we use uh, the wild marigold flower, which grows here in our highlands. And the season to collect the plants are from September to November. So from this plant, we can get a yellow and green color. So we will get a yellow color using white wool and a green color using gray wool. So if we dip two skeins in the bath, uh, we will get those two different colors. Uh, also, we used uh, the pomegranate, we used the moss, and we used a fruit we call sapote. With these last three sources, we do have to wait for the season so we can uh, collect and we can dye. But for example, with the cochineal, indigo, and uh, the marigold, we can uh, have the enough quantity so we can dye during the whole year. And then uh, to achieve more colors, uh, what we do is also over dyes. So we have. Uh, we can do an overdye of a wild marigold in a bath of indigo and we will get a green color. Also we do uh, an overdye of cochineal, of our uh, skein dyed with cochineal into a bath of indigo, we will get uh, a purple uh, shade too. So once you're uh, working with the natural dyes, there's many different ways how you can achieve one color uh, but basically those will be your three sources that we use uh, the most the cochineal indigo and wild marigold that's beautiful yeah and um maybe if you can send me some photographs of some of your yarn afterwards i can mm -hmm. put pictures up for people to see it because it's hard to imagine but i remember walking into your family's courtyard where all of your yarn is hanging and it's just every single color you could ever imagine and it was really neat that it all came from natural sources yeah sure of course i'd be very happy to share pictures with you so when you um when you and your family are planning for dyeing, is it for specific tapestry designs that you have in mind, or do you make lots of colors and then just use them as you're designing? Yeah, so we like uh, we like, and we prefer just to start to dye, mm -hmm. and then we'll uh, decide uh, uh, which will be the pattern, because uh, so we just uh, when we're dyeing, we we focus just in the dyeing part we're not thinking about uh, of a specific pattern or a specific rug so when we're dying it's just uh, the dying process and do you have favorite colors do, that you like to dye with or is it the same as your tapestries you can't pick a favorite uh, well actually I will say that uh, I like the most to weave and dye uh, the indigo Mm -hmm. uh, to dye because um, it's an instant dye bath so that means that uh, we dip the skein for a minute, minute and a half and we will achieve one color and uh, we can achieve uh, different different uh, blues and what I 
really like to do in my rocks are a gradation of colors so with the indigo I can just start from a very light blue to a very uh, dark uh, blue and have a very very nice uh, gradation of just blues of indigo so uh, I will go for the indigo as my favorite uh, color to to dye and to weave too that's great so you your family has a gallery in Oaxaca City where people can buy tapestries from mm -hmm. you and I know you also have customers all over the world Mm -hmm. So how do people find you if they aren't local? How do you find your customers? Yeah, well, uh, we do have a, a gallery in downtown in Oaxaca, which is Fey Lola. So my father's name is Federico, and my mother is Dolores. But <coughs> the short names is Fey Lola. And we're on uh, Cinco de Mayo Street, that's in Oaxaca, if, in case some of uh, you are coming and visiting uh, Oaxaca, we're on Cinco de Mayo Street, just one block down from Santo Domingo Church, and uh, now we have uh, we do have a Facebook uh, page, which we are still working on it, so uh, we uh, <coughs> we can have more pictures and we can share more uh, things about uh, what's happening in our workshop, which is. Uh, my father's name will which is Federico Chavez Sosa. So if you look for that in uh, Facebook, you'll find our uh, our page and There were uh, posting like sometimes some pictures about the the dyeing process the materials uh, the weaving process and uh, if you would like to have more information about anything related with textiles you can just send us an inbox or an email you'll find the email uh, address in the in this page that i gave you and uh <coughs> and soon we will have a, a online page so we can uh show uh, better the uh, more pictures and uh and uh, show more the, the process that's great. I will I will also put links to all of that in the show notes that I make for this podcast so people can easily find your Facebook page and I'll put the address of the gallery for people who are in Oaxaca. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, um, I really appreciate that you took the time to come share with me and with all the listeners of this podcast today. Um, do you have any last bits of advice that you would share with other weavers out there who are listening? Yeah, well... Uh I will say that uh, I'm very, I'm very amazed about all the weaving culture around the, the world. Uh, it is very interesting for me to find out that there's uh, big communities out there, outside my my village, where people do uh, weaving, do dyeing, and that uh, encouraged me more to to keep up with with the work and I will just say that uh, to all the weavers that always try to look for a pattern that will challenge your their their skills and, and your mind so you can always have an adventure on, on, on your loom and always uh, experimenting with something different 
That's really very good advice. I appreciate that. Thank you, Omar. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity, and uh, I feel I feel very very excited about uh, this interview. Before you go do anything else, you're going to want to check out the show notes for this episode. You can see gorgeous photos of Omar's weaving and natural dyeing and pictures of his family working. You can also see links to their Facebook page and email address if you'd like to get in touch and learn more about their work. You'll find the show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash podcast hyphen two. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. And then you should come join our Facebook group where you can see more photos and continue the conversation. And you can request to join at facebook.com slash groups slash weave podcast. On the next episode, I'm talking to award-winning weaver Tian Chu about her tips for working with color and how she approaches designing with complex patterns and colors. And that episode is already waiting for you in your podcast queue. So go ahead and give it a listen. And until next time, happy weaving.